podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. Happy New Year to all of you. New Year, but I'm afraid old England in a way because they flattered to deceive again today in the first day of the fifth test in the Sydney Cricket Ground. They looked good and promised much, but didn't actually in the end deliver what they promised. 233 for five is a precarious position, I'd say, Simon, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think it is. Australia fancy their chances of going really big in their first innings. England, sort of nowhere score at the moment. Paul Farbrace was talking afterwards about their target of 400. Now we've got a situation where the new ball has been taken. England's lower order is exposed. Moen Ali's got all night to think about coming out to bat first thing in the morning. And then after that, it's Curran, it's Crane, it's Broad and Anderson. There's not a great deal to come. It's a a far cry from previous England lower orders, of course, when we had the likes of Moen coming in at eight and Wokes at nine. So England up against it, you'd think, in this test match, unless they can produce something dramatic with the bat and with the ball, then they get the chance to bowl tomorrow. It's uh, almost like reverting to type after that, that Melbourne dalliance with success for England and going back to the, the same sort of old mistakes that they've made in, in earlier matches, really, with the batting order, Mark Stoneman looking good and then getting out to a slightly short ball, James Vince looking excellent and then just wafting outside off stump loosely, Joe Root failing again to convert very, very promising and fluent innings of 80-odd into a big, really big score, and the one guy really shining above everyone else, David Milan again, who has been the the biggest success story, I suppose, in this series. He certainly has been one of them. And he showed grittiness, determination. It wasn't a fluent innings from Milan. He admitted that afterwards. He said he found the pitch quite slow and difficult to score on, but he is still there. Root, I just thought, was nailed on for 100. He looked so determined. He cut out some of his risky shots today. He looked so determined. They took the new ball just before the close. And would you know it, clipping one to square leg with the third ball after two falls as well one shot hit down the ground on the up and inside edge he got lucky the ball before inside edge for four and then clipping one to square leg they had to drag him off they needed a bulldozer to come on take him off the field he was so disappointed he he battled hard he batted quite fluently and he thought he was going to go through to three figures it, it felt certain in the way that you know, he looked at Smith earlier in the series the way that Smith's hundreds looked certain the way that Warner's hundred looked certain in the first innings at the MCG but it wasn't to be and England now in that sort of iffy position what, what do you think about James Vince he made 83 in the first test match everyone was saying oh, that, well, you know the selectors got it right I did an interview with James Whitaker when the squad was announced and I, you know, I said to him, what, have, what do you see in Vince? Is it just a, a hunch really? And, and people sort of took me to task on that and said, you know, uh, well, look, he's come out and scored 83 in the first test. You were wrong. But actually since then, his average has been low. He's been getting out in, in, in similar ways. Does he look a, a test player to you, a test player with a future? Not really, actually. Uh, I, I think if I was a bowler, I would think I fancied a chance of getting this guy out. He might hit a few falls. He's going to put away the the odd loose ball. But if I keep just bowling round about the off stump and just outside, I think he's going to play a loose shot. 
the slips of the wicketkeeper will always be interested. And I think the reason for that is twofold. I think, firstly, he doesn't move his feet very much. I think he's actually basically lazy. He's got this lovely, languid timing and shot uh, ability, and he does play very emphatically powerful and, and beautifully timed and beautifully looking shots. That's partly because he doesn't move very much. He just uses his hands to stroke the ball through the covers or occasionally pummel it through mid-wicket. And I think the laziness in his body is also in his mind as well. I just think he has lapses of concentration and that causes his downfall. So overall, it's not good enough. It, it's someone who does look good, but he doesn't deliver. And whether he can go away and, and uh, attend to those issues, I don't know. I don't think he can because I think he's in that sort of era of his career where probably most of his batting is fully formed if he was 21 or 22 I think there'd be a lot of scope for for development and and improvement but once you're in that sort of 27 28 age bracket it's quite hard to change your general makeup so I definitely think he's not a number three because he just gives the bowler too many chances he could maybe come at number five but at number three, for me, he is a real weakness for England. So do you think they're going to make that change? Do you think they would put him down to number five? Or do you think they say, actually, you looked OK, but you haven't produced the goods. Five test matches, no real significant contributions. OK, he did make that 83, but that was, in the way, it was neither here nor there. In the end, it needed someone to go on and get 100. And he was run out brilliantly by Lyon in that first test in Brisbane. He made that fine half century and he was undone by that incredible ball by Mitchell Stark in Perth. But, but apart from that, it's just frustration, really. You think, come on, you know, where's, where's the big score? It hasn't happened and it hasn't happened now for 11 and a half test matches. So do, do you go on with him? Do you say, right, New Zealand, two test matches? Let's just see. We, we, we've got this hunch. We've got this feeling about him that he is capable of, of big scores in test cricket. Or do you say, actually, we've seen out here that he isn't quite good enough against the best. And actually, you need to be good enough against the best to have a really long and successful career. And actually, if they did pick him for New Zealand, it would just be delaying the inevitable. Yeah, I think that's what I would do. I, I, I'd say, look, you've had 12 test match chances Uh, obviously he's got one more innings potentially in this test match to change people's minds but England ultimately have lost the ashes and there will be the odd scapegoat made as a result there always is I think he'll be one of them I just think they'll decide he's had enough opportunities he hasn't really confirmed his obvious skill and there'll be other batsmen waiting in the wings deserving more chance that probably are a bit younger, so can offer a longer career. What about Mark Stoneman as well? Do you think there are question marks against him now? You know, he's again, he's another one that's flickered in this series, but he hasn't produced either. Does he have a bit more long longevity? For some odd reason, I think he does. Uh, it's harder being an opening batsman. England have definitely struggled to find a, a partner to Alistair Cook. I think he looks pretty composed in the middle. He plays some pretty good shots and he's being dismissed by some some decent deliveries, which at the sort of speeds that Australian bowl at, sort of a high 80s miles an hour, he's not going to get that too much else around the world. 
on, on these pitches as well. Perth, for instance, he had a lot of trouble with Josh Hazelwood there, but he's not going to experience that kind of pitch and that kind of pace too often. And he's looked pretty comfortable against everything else. So I think I would take him to New Zealand, actually. I, I think he's obviously a very assiduous worker on his game and he's a, a, a composed sort of individual. There's something about James Vince's character that I'm not sure about his suitability for the longer form of the game. Maybe he's just not quite dedicated enough as a person. I'm not sure what it is. It's just a hunch I, I've got. I'm sure he's a lovely guy. I've talked to him a bit. He, he, there's nothing, I've got nothing against him, but I just feel there's something there that, that's sort of missing, whereas Stoneman's had a long career in county cricket and produced consistent results. He's dedicated to batting, and I, I would give him a bit more chance. What about Milan at three? The only problem seems to me with Milan at three is you have three left-handers at the top of the order. You have Cook, you have Stoneman, and you have Milan. Milan at three? Yeah, well, that would make a lot of sense to me because he's got the ability to bat a long time. He soaks up pressure very well. He plays the pace bowling extremely well. He doesn't look uh, at all intimidated by short bowling. He takes it on. He's got a response to to quick short bowling, which perhaps Stoneman actually doesn't. So I, I like Milan at number three, the idea of Milan at number three. I, I see your point about three left-handers. Maybe ultimately the, uh, the the order will be Cook and Hamid will come back in at, at number two if he has a, a decent season for Lancashire in the long term. Perhaps, And then you have the left-hand-right-hand combination as an opening pair and then it doesn't matter so much uh, whether you've got a left-hander or right-hander at number three. Milan, certainly for me, has really shone in this series, not just in his shot selection, but in his ability to stay in and just absorb pressure moments and and contribute consistently. He could well be England's highest run scorer in this Ashes series. I mean, that's a, you know, a cliche, but it's a feather in someone's cap, is it, to be the leading wicket-taker overall or the leading wicket taker for your side or the leading run scorer for your side or leading run scorer overall clearly Steve Smith is going to be for for Australia the leading run scorer but it could well be that Milan is the leading run scorer for England in this series I think that perhaps the most fascinating aspect of this test match and it's still to develop is how Mason Crane is going to get on when he gets a, a chance to bowl Nathan Lyon did get a few to turn today whether that was first day turn which sometimes happens it you know, has been a bit damp in Sydney the last couple of days remains to be seen 20 years of age Shane Warne made his debut at 22 on the on the Sydney cricket ground at one for 150 so we shouldn't read too much into Mason Crane's first test match but it is fascinating I mean there is an element of of wishful thinking you want that mystery spinner don't you that guy that can do something just a bit different he clearly has got lots of potential he took five wickets in a, a shield game for New South Wales back in March but I think that's going to be the most fascinating aspect of perhaps the second day and third day of this test match how is Mason Crane going to go on this SCG pitch yeah I mean it's to me it's it's a shot to nothing in a way it's it's an adventurous selection uh nothing ventured nothing gained if you like and if England do find they've got someone here in, in this test match, then that's that's a great bonus. I can't see Mason Crane necessarily being a, a consistent option all the time for England at home because they'll need somebody who can just keep an end up while the faster bowlers are rotating on English 
pitches. And I don't really see a leg spinner. Shane Warne is obviously a, a rarity. I mean, Anil Kumble was another one who could keep an end up. But those two guys were, you know, once in probably two generations, they were so good. You don't get leg spinners who are as consistent as they are very often, you know, probably a couple of times a century or something, actually. So, in a way, I, I don't see Mason Crane as being a, a bowler who's able to hold an end up in English conditions, but he's an invaluable bonus to have somebody like him, if he can show the skills that England are hoping he can, to play abroad or perhaps on the old late season pitch in England. It just gives them that extra ingredient of wicket-taking ability. It's a fantastic opportunity for him. It's on a ground where he's played before for, for New South Wales, so he won't feel as unfamiliar in those surroundings as he would have done at the MCG. I mean, it's a massive undertaking, of course, and nobody, at least of all himself, will know how it's actually going to work out. But the first thing that England have done is won the toss and batted, and that, I think that was a, a brave but sensible decision. So it means Crane potentially has got the last innings pitch to bowl on. And, uh, well, I mean, just good luck to him, you know. I, I, in a way, why did they select him on the tour if he wasn't going to play a test match? He's playing a test match, and the world's his oyster. What you hope doesn't happen to him is what happened to Simon Kerrigan in the last Ashes Test match of 2013. And, you know, he's never really recovered from that, has he? I mean, it was, it was a really chastening experience when he was taken apart. And you hope that doesn't happen to Mason Crane in front of over 40,000 people tomorrow on the second day at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Also a big day as well for Moen Ali. How is he going to respond to what he produced in Melbourne, what he's produced so far in the series? I was mentioning earlier, he's got all night to think about his innings. I, I think Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I, I, I'm not sure. In a way, you can, you can set yourself, you know when you're batting, you know what you're going to be batting against. He's got the new ball and the pitch is not that bad for batting. So can he rouse himself for one really big effort in this series, giving them the chance of a score of you know close to 400, which you, you feel they will need if they are to threaten Australia in this game? Well, let's hope so. Uh, I, I sort of slightly doubt it. I just think all the talk about pace over this series and what difference does five miles an hour make? Well, the difference is, firstly, it, it obviously affects your reflexes. You've got to be that bit quicker to, to play the 90-mile-an-hour ball compared to the 85 mile an hour ball but there is also the potential fear of facing a ball of 90 miles an hour which can hurt you and I think that has affected Moen I'm not saying he's scared but he's certainly apprehensive against the bowlers of 90 miles an hour and he's not as a result as sure in his movements in his shot selections in his shot execution and therefore he's half the player because he's not confident he therefore looks tentative and doesn't go into the the shots that we know with full conviction. And I, I don't see anything changing tomorrow. He's got to face the second new ball with Mitchell Stark swinging it a bit and Josh Hazelwood bowling as well as ever, plus Pat Cummins to follow up. Uh, I, I kind of don't have high hopes for Moen in the morning, which is partly why I suppose it was so disappointing that England lost those two late wickets, 233 for five, does give Australia the ambition to knock England over for under 300. Whereas, you know, two overs before that, England were looking at 450 with, with Root and Milan looking so solid and, and convincing. Uh, with Moen, you know, walking out to, to bat in the morning, I'd be quite up if I was the Australian bowlers. 
Yeah, I sense that at the close of play, just listening to Mitch Marsh, who's saying, oh, the pitch is good for batting, and they just clearly fancy themselves. You know, a really interesting first day, uh, as you mentioned at the start, some of the similar problems coming back to Plague England. If by the close of play on the second day, Australia are on top, then you feel the, the course of this match is set. So England need to get runs on the board in the morning, and then they need to strike when they bowl and uh, can... Crane get into the match, or is it going to be the old guard, Broad and Anderson? Quite a lot resting on them, of course, because you've got Curran, who's played one test match, Crane, who hasn't played a test match, and Moen Ali, who's been totally ineffective in this test series so far. That That is England's bowling attack, so you feel quite a lot rests on Anderson and Broad if England to haul themselves back into the game. We should just touch on England's decision not to send out a night watchman at the end of the day when Joe Root was out with, what, a couple of overs left. I'm a bit ambivalent about the whole night watchman idea. I was the night watchman for years for Middlesex, and I often used to think it was a a futile exercise sending in a number nine or ten to bat against the opening bowlers with the second new ball, knowing they only had a couple of overs to go towards the end of the day so they could really go for it. It was, a, it was a pretty horrible experience. But I suppose it does work if there's just a few balls to go and a top batsman's got a lot to lose and a, you know a number nine or ten is sort of expendable. I think England maybe just missed a trick there. Two things about it. One, you've got to send in a player who can score some runs the next day. And obviously, Yozza, that's not you. So I can understand why you found Night Watchman a really difficult concept to get your head around. And the other thing as well is, is who would do it for England. It's, it's not obvious who would go out there and be the Night Watchman. The other thing as well, of course, if you did use a Night Watchman, Best, they would be back in at number seven again. There wouldn't be much behind him. So you're back in a situation you're in earlier in the series. So you can understand why England gambled with Best coming in at number six. He only had a few balls to survive. He didn't. And now England are in a bit of trouble. Actually, it's it's a very good point, and it reminds me of the time when we uh, at Middlesex had a, a sort of rotor system for night watchmen, and it was Phil Tufnell's turn, and with four balls to go of the day's play, and Tony Parker charging down the hill at Hastings, in fact, uh, a wicket fell, and Tuffers had to go in for the last three balls with Mike Gatting next in. And we all watched, sort of almost behind the sofa, to see what would happen. Tony Pygott, quite a, a quick bowler, but almost uh, looked worse to face in a way than he actually was, because he really ran in with intent. And Tuffers hated anybody above medium pace, certainly anybody who ran in with any kind of malicious intent. And he backed away to the first ball from Pygott and sliced it over the slips for four, nearly took the second slip's head off. And we thought, oh, my God, you know, what, what's going to happen here? And then he, we thought, well, at least he'll play out the last two. Uh, he backed away from the next one, had another hack at it and lost his off stump and got, had to go in for the last ball. So uh, that was the last time that Phil Tuffner was night watchman. Uh, it was, it was a, a sort of hilarious little moment uh, in, in my cricketing career, actually. <laughs> uh, it did underline the, the difficulty of the job. And, uh, yeah, I mean, in a way, England... You put a, a, a bob each way with, with the night watchman. It didn't work today, sending Bairstow out. Uh, credit to him that he was prepared to take on the responsibility. Maybe if Joe Root hadn't been the guy who was dismissed and he'd been in the dressing room, he might have had something to say about that and, and taken a kind of team view and sent in Tom Curran. But uh, it didn't happen. And now England are kind of, I suppose, hoping to to get past 350, but not necessarily very confident of it, really. No, that that would be my reading of it. Time for 
Milan and Moen to produce something special on the second day. Of course, no Chris Wokes in this test match for England. He is their night watchman. He has become their night watchman. A guy who can go in overnight, survive and then thrive the next morning. So he's not there. Perhaps that was part of their thinking. Anyway, lots to play for for England. Lots of hard work to do. Uh, Lots of hard work for me to do as well. I'm flying to India, so... I won't be watching tomorrow's play. Uh, I'm off to somebody's 50th birthday party. I'll tell you about that, actually, in one of our next podcasts because it's an interesting event that I'm going to. But in the meantime, hold the fort, Simon, in Sydney, and we'll speak to you after the third day's play. Yep, speak to you in a couple of days' time. Goodbye for now. Podcast Network.